Good evening, everybody. Is gender fluid? This is the next big social, ethical, and cultural question facing us today. Now, so-called same-sex marriage has been legalised in about 30 Western countries since the first country, the Netherlands, did so in the year 2000, and it's been rapid adoption then the last 17 years. And it reflects the massive shift in attitude towards relationships and sexuality. Now, in the last five years, you're aware of this, that questions relating to gender have been given increasing prominence and gender identity is a big thing that is people are grappling with these days. Now, your worldview, how you understand the world works, determines how you'll answer this question is gender fluid. Let me extend the question a little bit for us in case you're sitting there scratching your head and wondering, what does the question mean? Is gender something fixed for a person from the moment of birth and inextricably linked to their biological identity? Or is it fluid in that it's determined by personal preference based on how male or female someone feels they are. That's a fuller version of our question. Now, to get into this, we're going to work through five questions. What are the prevailing cultural ideologies that give rise to this question, is gender fluid, in the first place? Second, how is society at large answering this question? And as a bolt-on, how is the answer impacting the society of which we are a part? Third, what are the real challenges that people face in this whole question? Fourth, what does God say about gender and identity? And then our last one is, how should Bible-believing Christians respond in light of everything that we're going to work through? So we're going to be here till midnight. An opening plea, and this is for those who are outside of this room that may listen into this later, and it may not be Christians that listen in. It's a plea for tolerance, but it does apply to us as well as to others outside of this room. We need an openness and a willingness together in society to realize that people do hold different convictions. And because there is a wide spectrum of views on this topic, we should have respect and openness when we're talking about it. Within society, some respond to the question, is gender fluid, and everything that's associated with it, with revulsion. And some people will celebrate it. It's the same within Christianity. Some will come at the subject with revulsion. They don't want anything to do with that. And others will celebrate it. So there's, there is a spectrum of response to the question. And we should be tolerant in the proper sense of tolerance. Today's new tolerance puts an individual's right to believe whatever they want above everything else. And if you disagree with it, then we've got a problem. That's actually intolerance. It's a flawed system that we're working with. Society in general is intolerant of things like corruption, 
of child abuse, of terrorism, of racism, of infidelity, Nazism, the list could go on. You look at your news reports and you see it. So while tolerance is lauded as being society's greatest virtue, it's not achievable because society is intolerant. So my appeal is that Christians, and I'm a Christian speaking to this subject tonight, if anybody is not a Christian has already switched off, I'm hoping you're still with me. Because I'm, I'm asking that you don't label me intolerant instantly because you make assumptions about what it is that I hold as convictions. We as Christians also need to do the same for others who hold a different view to us. What are the prevailing cultural <coughs> ideologies? Personal identity, uh, Brian's touched on it. Who am I? Something we all grapple with. And it's been translated into a game. Giles, I'm going to pick on you since your singing was so good. Uh, write the name of somebody famous on that little post-it note there, please. Don't show it to me. Maybe you've played this game. Who am I? Yeah? If you haven't, I'm going to demonstrate it very quickly. Or else we will be here till midnight. <laughs> Can you write any quicker? <laughs> Thank you. So that is, oh, I didn't need the pen back. You can keep that. It's a bendy one as well. There we go. Now, I, I haven't seen what's on there. So the, the purpose of the game is that you stick this on your head and everybody else in the room would normally do it if you were together enjoying the fun of who am I? So I have no clue who I am supposed to be in this game. And it's by a series of questions that I will determine my identity in this game. It's funny. It's amusing, isn't it? I, I have to ask, am I male or female? And various questions like that. We're not going to go through it because we will be here all night. <laughs> Andy Murray, thank you very much, Giles. But you get the point, don't you? <clears throat> the game is a little bit flawed as well in today's society. But notice, I would have to ask you questions in order to work out my identity. We do that all the time. We're asking questions. We're asking questions whether we vocalize them or not about what other people are thinking of us and saying of us. External factors. But also, we have this internal understanding. In the game, you don't have that. You're trying to work it out from what you're fed from outside. But uh, internally, ourselves, we have questions as we, we look at what and who we think we are. So the two things come together uh, as we work out, who am I? But here's the prime prevailing cultural ideology. I think, today. This matter of individualism and authenticity. What does that mean? It means that individual takes top place, even over society. That's where I think Western society has gone to. It's the search for identity is the prime thing. It trumps everything else. Authenticity is just be yourself. I'm sure you've heard that. That's the new mantra that's there in society today. It's about self-expression, as you understand yourself to be, and self-autonomy, which means that you're entirely in control of what you think of yourself, and nobody can tell you otherwise. So you notice it's shifted from an external thing to being an internal thing. That's the focus of society today, individualism. I am who I say I am. Nobody dare argue. And that's considered freedom. 
Freedom is the right to define one's own existence. Google that phrase if you want, and you'll find how often it crops up in modern literature. Not to be coerced by religious, quite often they're first in line, or cultural um, norms or judgments or moralities. I will be who I will be. Now this is the gospel. This is the good news according to the world. Freedom is achieved when I become who I really am. This is difficult because it shows that society has shifted as well. There's no longer objective truth. There's an absolutism out there that um, there's, there is no truth. That's a, an absolute truth. So it's flawed as well. But we have this business of what we decide ourselves and what you decide yourselves is entirely, we're entitled to hold whatever view we want. That's the way society has gone. And therefore, you have to accept someone like Nano, who is now a 21-year-old Norwegian lady, who in 2016 was reported in her local press and then internationally as identifying as a cat. She said she was born as a cat in a human body. Now, you're stifling your, your mirth here, which is good because you're expressing a tolerance. We have to. If this is the way society thinks, we have to accept that. I like the line that was uh, put in by the Telegraph, which was quoting her. It says, her psychologist says she'll grow out of it, but she would prefer to be a cat. That's the reality we're dealing with. In a pluralistic tolerant society where there is apparently no objective truth and everybody can believe what they want this is what we have to accept so this impinges on our question here's a quote from Jonathan Grant, he's a Christian writer written a book called Divine Sex amongst others and he says this, modern authenticity encourages us to create our own beliefs and morality the only rule being that they must resonate with who we feel we really are the authentic self believes that personal meaning must be found within ourselves or must resonate with our one-of-a-kind personality. I'm unique, so whatever I think of myself, you must honour what I think of myself. So those are some of the prevailing cultural ideologies. No objective truth. Whatever I believe in my individualistic life, you have to go with it. I can do whatever I want. So with this sitting there as some of the ideology that sits behind um, society at large, how is society at large then answering this question of is gender fluid? Of course the answer is going to be well you can be whatever you want to be. That's the quick answer. We increasingly see men identifying as women and women identifying as men. The term for that is transgender. When somebody says that they are no longer what they once were, they now identify as the opposite. They're no longer male, they are female. Female, they now are male. There are some famous examples of this. 
maybe the most famous in recent years and one that sparked most debate, particularly in the US and it filtered over here, and because of links with um, reality TV shows and so on, was Bruce Jenner, who was a US gold medal winning decathlete who went through sex reassignment surgery in 2015 and is now known as Caitlyn Jenner. High profile, well seen, caused all sorts of debate. This is what Caitlyn Jenner says, I am so happy after such a long struggle to be living my true self. There was a struggle from childhood that then transitioned into happiness. There are real practical societal implications of this. Think about it. And this is where you chaps and people listening are confronting this. What toilets do transgender people use? What bathrooms? What changing rooms in a sports facility? What school does a transgender person attend? What school facilities in a mixed gender school does a transgender person use? What prison do you send a transgender criminal to? What about involvement in the military? What do we do with passports and other official documentation? These are no small issues that society has to grapple with, which is why the topic is a hot one. It means that there is emotive discussion in the public square because people react, as I said, either quite often with revulsion or with celebration, and that's in the public setting. People debating it in their workplace and such like, sometimes in secrecy because uh, there is this tolerance police out there that can swoop in at any time but also in the government debating halls and chambers real debate about given society has gone this way the individual can express themselves however they want what does that then mean for the things that have been set for so long in society how do we handle the implications of this I want to define some terms for you because you're probably sitting there thinking this is a little bamboozling. This is going to bamboozle you further, but stay with me, please. Biological sex is anatomical. You see it in your features and it's genetic information. Your biological sex is assigned to you at birth as a Christian I actually believe that happens earlier because I believe that God assigns your biological sex. But in society, at birth, you're identified as being male or female. That's biological sex. I might just say at the moment that some of you may be thinking, well, what about those that are born intersex? Maybe you know that word. Intersex means somebody who is born, a child is born, and you cannot determine uh, from biological checks, and sometimes even with genetic testing, whether male or female. Now, that's a distressing situation to be in for parents. Imagine that. Very rare, but it does happen. Gender, then, 
is increasingly seen as a social classification of what characterizes being masculine or feminine and the behaviors that go with that. And society is separating these two, increasingly so. For centuries, they've really been together. But in more recent times, it's shifting apart. But societal gentle norms, i.e. what you would expect a woman to behave like and what you'd expect a man to behave like, is fraught with all sorts of difficulties anyway. While we might sit here and say that a woman will behave differently to a man, you know that a man will behave differently to a man and a woman will behave differently to a woman. So there's a spectrum right throughout this thing. And we have to acknowledge that as being reality. Now, what researchers in this whole field, as they're pushed by society to spend time looking into this, increasingly so, they can't agree on whether gender flows out of our biological nature, our biological sex, so nature, or if gender is entirely produced by cultural constraint and conditioning. So researchers in this field, and I'm no researcher in this field, they have said that it's a combination of both, nature and nurture. But there is this separating of the two, biological sex and gender, in people's thinking. Which is why we're asking the question, is gender fluid? Because it's separating the question away from biological sex. Increasingly, gender is viewed as a social construct and is now becoming a matter of personal choice. The latter, gender. You will hear people say, I was born into the wrong body. That's known as the brain sex theory, whereby you say you're a male, but you're in a female body. Now, that has all sorts of philosophical and ethical implications. What about somebody who identifies themselves in their mind, in their psyche, as being entirely healthy, but yet they're born with a disability. Do you see that that's only one example of, of how this is a bigger question than just gender-related? I might put it this way. The body is increasingly considered by society at large as being a machine. And in a sense, we could say that... Um, our mind, our psyche, is considered the software. And actually the two are separated. So that's how society at large seems to be answering the question. They say, okay, if that's the way you want to identify, then we go with it. But then you open up all these other challenges which are forced in society at large, which is question after question after question. So it's not a simple one. Challenging. What are the real challenges people face? We're dealing with people. Never forget that. Anybody listening, either here or to the recording, we're always dealing with people. What are the real challenges they face? Here's another term for you. Gender dysphoria is a clinical term. You can see it there, a clinical condition that describes real feelings of incongruence. When something is uh, incongruent means that there's, there's no matching up as, uh, as you would expect there to be. 
feelings of incongruence when someone's gender, remember our definition of gender, does not match their biological sex. So that's a condition that people have. And if that persists for more than six months duration, then it's considered today as a clinical condition called gender dysphoria. Let me give you some facts and figures on this because before I do, people suffering, if I put it that way, I actually shouldn't use the word suffering. People experiencing this, excuse me for using the word suffering. This is delicate. People experiencing gender dysphoria do suffer. There's a difference. It's real, it's distressing, and it's painful. Feelings of marginalization, isolation, and mental challenges and difficulties that come with the experience of things not being right. Just some statistics for you. Uh, Yarwood, who's a clinical psychologist, has done a lot of research in this field. His research would say that those diagnosed or identified as suffering with gender dysphoria is one in 10,000 to 13,000 males. One to, in 20,000 to 24,000 males. That's not a lot. <coughs> Maybe. But look at those that suffer a sense of incongruence. So something's not right. One in 215 to 300 people. So this feeling, this sense that something isn't right is more frequent and more common than we might initially think. Now then, the feelings of incongruence there are mainly felt by those who are young children before they reach puberty and adolescence. It has been documented and researched that gender confusion, if we can call it that, disappears in 80% of childhood cases. But what does that leave? That leaves 20%. 20% of people who will go into adolescence and potentially into adulthood, who for them, this real difficulty is never seemingly resolved. But what we're at in society, because society is embracing this whole idea that you express yourself and we'll honour whatever you want to do and want to be. Because of that, gender identification or choice is now being offered much faster to those who are younger. Now society at large is considering this and thinks everything is moving too fast. Look at what the American College of Pediatricians said in 2016 as part of a, a report when they looked into it. They said young children are being permanently sterilized and surgically maimed under the guise of treating a condition that would otherwise resolve in over 80% of them. Because society is so quick to say to a youngster, okay, you say you're male. We'll honour that. And it will get to the point of treatment. 
How do people cope with gender dysphoria? Cross-dressing. That's when you wear the clothes that normally would be associated in culture by those of the opposite sex. That can be done in public, can be done in private. For some, this is done in private because they know of the difficulties it causes for others. Next stage is that someone could undergo hormone therapy so that they may be given more of the hormone that would match what they consider themselves to be. The final stage, in a sense, is sex reassignment. We're going back to Caitlyn Jenner. Sex reassignment surgery, which deals with the physicalities, as well as hormones in there. But that usually happens after consultation and assessment. But that, what I've said before, that consultation period and that assessment period seems to be shortened and shortened and shortened and is given to those whom we might not agree in society are entitled to make those sort of choices yet. But that's the way society is going. But I want us to consider this. What's really concerning is that the research into this shows that the overall death rate for those who identify as transgender and have gone through sex reassignment surgery is much higher than the rest of the population, with suicide being the leading cause. 20 times higher in transgender people than those who are non-transgender. Can you imagine what somebody has gone through to get to the point of going for sex reassignment surgery? What turmoil in the person? And then these statistics would seem to show that there's not the persistent happiness that Caitlyn Jenner speaks of. The problem still persists. So these are the real challenges. We have to face this and see it. Society does. And we as Christians do. What does God say? Thank you Christians for bearing with me as we didn't turn to the scriptures for a long time. But we have to now. We have to see what the situation is in the world around us and then not make it fit to scripture but see what God says and then see what God says over the whole thing. Because as Christians we do believe there is objective truth so we're at variance with a lot of people in westernized society. We believe the objective truth is God himself. The one who made everything. Who has always existed. And that truth is revealed in everything that he has made including us. And that truth is revealed in his word. The Bible. And that truth is revealed through himself. Through the person of Jesus Christ. God who took on humanity. So that he might rescue us from this turmoil. Let me say this, this turmoil that is experienced by those who would identify as transgender is one form of turmoil that we all suffer with because the world is not as it should be and we all struggle with sin. We're coming to it. Read with me please Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1.
What does God say through his word to us? In the beginning, Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Go down to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man. That's a generic term for mankind. Humanity. In our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created humanity, man, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, him. Male and female, he created them. And then go down to verse, I will read verse 28 as well. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. It's the account of the beginning. God was there. We weren't. Nothing was but God. We believe as Christians that he is the one who is over all things. That he always existed. He's outside of this system that we are an integral part of. He is transcendent. Transcendent means that beyond the um, ordinary range of perception. He has a proper, perfect perspective of everything, therefore. That, by faith, is what we believe about God. So therefore, as Christians, in every issue that we face in life, knowing that God sees it all and is over it all, we submit ourselves to his greater knowledge, his perspective, and his power. And I love that the Bible begins in Genesis when there was nothing but God. And concludes into eternity in the future. So it tells us that everything in between is for us to learn from. In the matter of life. We see God as the good creator. And he made humanity with clear distinction. I've put it there on the screen. Biologically distinctive. Adam and Eve. You get that brought out in chapter 2. As more flesh is put on bones. If you allow me that one. God is the good creator. Made us biologically distinctive. Male and female, he created them. Humanity was created in the image of God, male and female. So God determined biologically identifiable genetic sex is a good gift from a good creator God. And it's to be celebrated. Now, this persists through the Bible. Interesting little study for you won't take you long, is to look up references to male children and female children. At the point of birth, children were identified just as they are today, as a male child or a female child. Eve says in Genesis chapter 4 verse 1, I have gotten a man by the help of the Lord, speaking of Cain. You go to Leviticus 12, and God in his law gives instructions to his people about purification rites that a woman uh, should go through after giving birth and they're distinctive if she gives birth to a male child then it's one form if a female child and another and that's before any social conditioning comes in but what is implied throughout scripture is that children born as male or female 
will develop into behaviors, using the language of society here, gender, that are appropriate with what they were identified as at birth. We don't see anything as a variance to that in Scripture. A lot has got to do with a male child and inheritance, for example, in the Scripture. So when a male child is born, there was rejoicing in that culture because of inheritance rights. We don't have time to pursue it. Manhood, womanhood, personhood, the Bible would show us is much more than biological sex identification. You know that being a person is much more than a body. All that goes with being a person. You hear somebody's name, what do you think of? Maybe you think of their body, uh, but you think of the person. And there are transcendent things in that that God has given to us. It would seem from God's word that he has made us male and female to naturally develop into behaviours in society that match how we were born physically. Our biological nature, it would seem through the reading of scripture, is at the root of all transcendent aspects of male and female personhood. What does God say? We're limited for time, but spend time in God's word and you will see and be persuaded that God wills for our gender to be one with our biological and genetic identity. Why? Because he doesn't speak of anything that we see today really about the whole transgender issue. Just because it's silent doesn't mean it's not there. But look at how a male child grows into expected male things. A female child grows into expected female behaviour. Maybe one little hint to it, and it's a warning that was given to God's people. Deuteronomy 22 and 5. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Now, an abomination to the Lord your God was used sparingly. So this is not just a matter of expediency. I'm cold, I'm going to take my husband's cloak and put it on. This is something more. This is confusing what is there by nature. I would say to you that through the Bible we see that our bodies are essential in determining and revealing who we truly are. It's part of what God made us. I want to say something about this, that we're made in the image of God. We read that, Genesis 1.26 and also in 27. What does that mean? It means that at the end of it, God said, it's very good. They're images of me. I'm going to show the world how wonderful I am through that which I've made. And this planet is filled with seven billion images of God. God is showing us how special we are. But that image, the image of God was defaced from its perfection in the Garden of Eden. As we read about it and have read about it, was defaced by the fall of humanity into sin, Genesis chapter 3. Humanity's rebellion against God caused untold turmoil. It's this attitude of today's society that's bursting through all the time. Individualism, I won't have anybody tell me what to do. That's the root of the sin in the Garden of Eden. But it's something wonderful. The image is defaced, it's not gone. Genesis 9, when God gives an instruction about... um, 
capital punishment, some might interpret it as. If you take a man's life, then your life will be taken because you've taken the life of someone made in the image of God. So post the fall, the image of God is still seen in the person that God is speaking of. You come to James, and James chapter 3 and verse 9. James says, with our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and we curse one another made in the image of God. So the image of God persists in us, though it is defaced. Someone has said that we're all ruined masterpieces in need of restoration. What has the fall resulted in? Brokenness, disharmony, disorder in our desires, all of us in our desires and relationships relationship with God relationship with each other a relationship with the environment a relationship within ourselves it's all been disordered because we turned away in rebellion from God Romans 3 verse 10 none is righteous, no not one that's why we as Christians cannot stand in judgment God has revealed himself to us and we must pray that for everybody in the world in your own time read Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through to 32 if you can and there's a phrase in there that speaks of the sins that are an evidence of the disordered desires of humanity as a result of the fall and it says that the actions that flow out of that are contrary to nature God has designed us and made us to be male and female But the struggle for some is real. This is the reality. What's the good news? God's good news, in contrast to the good news of the world, which is your freedom is found in your own self-expression from within, is no, it's not within yourselves. I will come and bring wholeness where you can never have it. I can come. And he has done in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. In the person of Jesus Christ, God stepped into a body. A man, born a male, grew up to be a man, died on a cross for sinners, and was resurrected in a body. That tells us something of the value that God places on a body. When today our bodies would seemingly by society be written off as less important to the psyche. God is doing a restoration work in the people who will trust him. You know, I love the fact that I'm going to exist in a material world. It's what Revelation tells me and other places in the Bible. I'm going to have a glorious body like his body, I'm told. I'm going to step into that. And God's going to do it. And although I have tension now and I have disharmony, I have disordered desires all the time. God is going to work to take that all away. He's already done the work that means he can through Jesus. God's restoration work requires us to put on Christ. Romans 13 verse 14. Well, how do you do that? You, you realize that my identity that I'm trying to generate myself is never going to bring wholeness. It's never going to save me. I'm never going to be reconciled with God. So I'll take Christ. And God, will you see me in him? It's putting on Christ. Colossians 3 verse 10. Put on the new self, Paul says, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Notice the link there. The image in the garden. Perfect. Defaced by the fall. 
and the struggle that ensues. And then there's this ongoing struggle, I might say, for the Christian. As God will work with us by his spirit to renew the image of himself. Jesus said that the truth will set you free. This truth, this gospel, this gospel of true freedom will set us free. When our identity relies on something within us, feelings, assertions, achievements, we're always going to be insecure. But when our identity is in Christ Jesus, who is perfect before almighty and holy God, that's wholeness. But it doesn't mean that the struggle doesn't go away. How should we as Christians respond? React and interact appropriately. We're going through this quickly to finish. That means compassion, sensitivity, empathy, love and respect. Christian, hear me. We have to be this way. Maybe you have an attitude of revulsion. Maybe you have an attitude of celebration. I hope that you see from God's word that we can't celebrate the diversity as people would see it in the world today. We go with what God says. But that doesn't give us license to be revulsed by what people are passing through as reality. It means that we cannot hold ignorant and uninformed um, assumptions. We cannot say wrong and insensitive things. Two people are about people. We want to be safe and approachable and loving people. Not isolating ourselves out of fear because we don't want to have anything to do with this whole thing. We're to engage. Jesus in his prayer to his father John 17. He says I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. They're not of the world but they're in the world. And I'm sending them. I've sent them into the world. God has sent us. Jesus has sent us to go and engage with the brokenness of the world around us and we do that with the correct terms terminology we do that with the correct tone how we speak and we do that with the correct touch actions are important Colossians 4 verse 6 let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer each person 1 Peter 3 15 you should always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for this hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Ephesians 4 verse 15. Speaking the truth in love. Why do we put banners up on buses and on billboards that say smoking kills? It's because society knows that smoking kills. And it's a loving thing to tell people that. So when opportunity is granted as we would be approachable to people who struggle with this, we might have an opportunity to show them God's way out of love and say that life lived this way is never going to be fulfilling unless you invite Christ in. We work towards sharing the gospel, God's good news. Not our own good news. It's what God can do. I think we have to recognize as well that it's not just about words, which we can all sit here tonight and listen to this and talk about it. It's not merely about words. It has to be action. Little children, John said, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. You have to do it. What about those for whom the struggle of gender dysphoria never goes away? Say they, they come to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and they embrace him. We can't expect that the struggle is going to go away. Christian, did the struggle that you have with sin go away instantly? No way. 
This is for all of us now. Not just for those who may struggle with this in reality. We're to keep in step with the Spirit. As God would do his restorative work in us. Spoiled, ruined masterpieces defaced. As he would restore them to be glorious. He says, keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5 verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, because God has come in to give us life, new life. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Face the conflict, not in our own strength, but by God's strength. Galatians 5 and 7. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's the reality. Face it. Romans 8 verse 13, Paul says, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's by the Spirit we bring God in, in all ways, to help us in this. And all the while, in our struggle with the disordered desires and all that flows out of that, by God's grace, He will work with us if we submit ourselves to what He says in His Word. Then we know that the struggle is only for a short while 70, 80, 90 years. In eternity, it's nothing. This momentary. This light momentary affliction, Paul said, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we go through the reality of this struggle, read Romans 7 and see Paul's struggle. We show God's grace as he works with us to other people. 2 Corinthians 4.11 For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, he said. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul said, Philippians 1, that he lives so that Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For someone who struggles with gender dysphoria and they would come to faith in Jesus Christ, the struggle would not go away. And I would say to them that God's desire is that your gender match your biological sex and you submit to that. And by the Spirit you are helped to live. As every Christian is helped to live in the same way. And we show God's grace through that. And then we do this. We intentionally give our bodies to God for his glory. So that others might be touched. Romans 6 verses 12 and 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. To make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God. As those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments of righteousness. That's living a fulfilled life. We can't get there without inviting God in. And by his spirit doing all that he brings us to. It's the end of my presentation. Let me say this Christian. Let's not bemoan and criticize the world. For being the world. God has told us what the world will be like if it's set in rebellion against God. We cannot sit in judgment and criticize it. But with empathy, approach it knowing what God has done with our brokenness. So in this matter and other matters, we can come with the good news of God. Is gender fluid as a Christian? I say no. On the basis of God's word, you need to go off and do more study on that. But we can't just go out there and say that instantly to people. We go with the message and show what God has done with us in our lives all the while too.
May God help us in that.